0: Today is October 5th, 2020, and this is episode number 27 of Blurred Laws and Life with me, your host, Richard Bush. On today's episode of Blurred Laws and Life, I will have as my guest Giancarlo Chersich who is the CEO of Empowered Media, which is a company owned by Giancarlo and fitness personality Jillian Michaels. Giancarlo will be on the show today to talk about the social dilemma. If you've seen the show on Netflix, it discusses how social media is controlling our lives and how it is making us dependent upon it in various ways and the negative impact that it is having on society. And it is particularly relevant for Giancarlo to speak about this and his company, Empowered Media, because Jillian Michaels is Present on social media, Um, Empowered Media uses social media to promote its products and brand. And Jillian herself has been the victim of various events on social media. And so I think that Giancarlo has a unique perspective on both the positive and negative impact that social media has Our lives, Giancarlo is a very good friend of mine. uh, In addition to being a client, and I think you will really enjoy hearing from him and our conversation. And I look forward to uh, bringing this to everyone in blurred laws and life land. Before I get to Giancarlo's interview, my interview of Giancarlo, I want to discuss a few legal issues that have been in the news over the past week. First, as I previously mentioned on Blurred Laws in Life, although we won the Blurred Lions case, the case that Marvin Gaye's family brought, or I should say that Pharrell Williams and Robin Thicke initially brought against the Family for a declaration of non-infringement. There was a ruling in that case that I did not like. And I've mentioned this before on prior episodes of Blurred Laws in Life. And to summarize, the court ruled that under the old Copyright Act, the 1909 Copyright Act that was in existence, for all musical compositions written and recorded prior to January 1, 1978, that the written notation, that written notation defined the scope of the copyright, not the recorded composition, even though modern music is created in the studio and there is no written notation. The court ruled that the written notation that at the time the Copyright Office required to be deposited for a copyright registration to get on file defined the scope of the musical composition. And therefore, any elements of the composition as recorded that were not in a written notation deposited with the Copyright Office would not be protected. And it was particularly problematic, I said, because... When written notation is submitted to the Copyright Office, it is in the form of what is called a lead sheet that is only a basic sketch of the composition and does not, by definition, include all of the elements. So composers were being disenfranchised of the composition they recorded in the studio by someone who later just did a sketch of the composition to get the... Copyright and file in other words Marvin Gaye was no longer the Author of got to give it up for example, but someone hired by the publishing company to simply get the Copyright registration on file and who did a lead sheet became the de facto author Which is absurd to me well as I said we won the case nonetheless After that case, in a case involving Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven, the court followed that blurred lines decision. And then the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals affirmed that decision. And I think they did so because they were confused, quite frankly, and because I don't think the lawyer who was representing the plaintiff in the Stairway to Heaven case made the right arguments to prevail on that issue. That case and that decision by the Ninth Circuit was just appealed to the United States Supreme Court. And for those of you who don't know, the United States Supreme Court does not hear all cases submitted to it. Um, In the United States, when one wants the Supreme Court to review a decision, they do it by way of writ of certiorari asking the court to hear the case, and the Supreme Court takes very few cases that are submitted to it. Usually they decline the petition for writ of certiorari. So the plaintiff in the Led Zeppelin case filed a petition for writ of certiorari to have that decision reviewed, and this past week, the Supreme Court declined to hear the case. So at least in the Ninth Circuit, That decision on the lead sheet is now the law. And while I have been a vocal proponent of disagreeing with that decision, I will say there are ways around it. And I think this is something that has been discussed in the legal uh, legal circles, I should say. And the way around that decision is as follows. The Copyright Act of 1976, which governs musical compositions created after January 1, 1978, is in fact retroactive. And what a copyright owner can now do is file a new copyright for any composition for which a lead sheet was submitted initially, and submit a more complete version of the composition, or since the Copyright Office now accepts the recording as the composition, can submit as a deposit copy the recording as the full example of the musical composition. It would have to be done as a new arrangement because the Copyright Office will not accept a second copyright on the same work. So what a copyright owner would need to do now is to submit a copyright registration on the musical composition, but as a new arrangement. So, for example, forgot to give it up. If it was ever infringed again, what would need to happen would be the owner of got to give it up the gay family would file a new copyright registration listing as a new arrangement the full composition with either a fully transcribed written notation or with the recording as the composition and then allege that it was this arrangement that was infringed by someone who would be infringing got to give it up So while at first blush the decision by the Ninth Circuit on this lead sheet issue could be seen as disenfranchising all these composers of pre-78 works and make elements not in the deposited lead sheet public domain and available to be infringed by a clever infringer, I think there is a way around that and the way around that would be to file a new copyright as a new arrangement of each of these compositions and submit a full written notation or the recording which would then protect all the elements of the composition. So an interesting issue and particularly appropriate for a podcast entitled, Blurred Laws in Life, because there can be nothing more blurred than this. Also in the news this week is a report by Congress finding that Apple... Amazon, Google, and Facebook have monopoly control over the segments in which they operate. And the commission that was in charge of this investigation plans on recommending that these companies be prohibited from entering into new businesses and also that certain aspects of their business be broken up and forced to be sold. This will not go unchallenged. This is just the first inning of this matter. This has not become law as of yet, and it is a far way away from becoming law. And if it ever does become law, there will certainly be lawsuits filed and judicial decisions on whether these companies do in fact violate antitrust law and whether they, in fact, do have monopoly control. These will be very fascinating decisions that will be discussed. And most likely, if the Democrats win the Senate and if we have a Democratic president, it is most likely that these matters will be pursued by a Democratic-controlled Congress. In addition to that, and as part of this focus on these multi-billion and close to trillion dollar companies that now control most of the technology space, President Trump has continued to propose legislation to remove the safe harbor that the internet service providers enjoy under the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. We've discussed that previously in prior episodes of Blurred Laws in Life, how Google and YouTube and others are able to infringe and build billion dollar businesses on copyright infringement with basic immunity from liability and there is more movement now than ever to water down the safe harbor that these companies enjoy. Again, this will be something that we can look forward to being litigated um, in the future and in not-so-distant future. And I think that that is a perfect segue now to our discussion today on blurred laws in life of the social dilemma and how social media companies are impacting and controlling our lives. So without further ado, here is my good friend and client, Giancarlo Ciersic. now have on the show my very good friend and client Giancarlo Chercich, who is the CEO of Empowered Media, a company that he co-owns with fitness personalities, superstar, the wonderful Jillian Michaels. Hey, G, how are
1: you? I'm well, Richard. How are you feeling this week?
0: Doing great, man. So um, the reason that I have you on the show is because of the Netflix. Documentary, The Social Dilemma, which I know you've seen and which I have seen as well. And because of Jillian's involvement in social media. Just to set it up, uh, for those who have not yet seen The Social Dilemma, it talks about how Facebook, Twitter, and other social media platforms have become addictive, intrusive, serve as a platform for hate and disinformation about how Silicon Valley used to sell products, software, hardware, but now we are the commodity. Um, How Facebook and the other social media platforms know everything about us, all the things that interest us, basically every detail and facet of our life, and they use that information to get advertising money and how fake news is threatening to destroy our world and, and you know, how we have become addicted to our devices. Um, and because I think you have a particular unique perspective on that given your business and the things you deal with on a daily basis, I wanted to have you on the show to speak about it. So let me just begin by asking you after watching The Social Dilemma, what was your, what was your takeaway from that show?
1: So, Richard, I think it's important for your listeners and, and for our conversation if I kind of blend my personal feelings about social and then my business feelings about social media. And obviously the documentary, uh, The Social Dilemma on Netflix, let's for me, when I go back to when I started social media um, I used Facebook then as a really exciting time in my life to reconnect with a lot of people that I had lost touch with. And I think a lot of us fell victim to that idea of, oh, my God, you know, these were classmates of mine. These were people that I've lost touch with. I'm now reconnected with them. Now you know about their families, what they're doing, and possibly that would lead to, you know, get togethers and class reunions and meetups. But as time went by, social media, in my opinion, personally, started to take a very different role in in my life. I found that it was distracting me. I found that when I had a moment's time to just not think about anything, I would immediately grab to my phone to see what was happening on social media. And I started to feel like I was losing my ability to maintain focus and easily distracted. So about three years ago, I made a conscious decision to quit social media cold Turkey. The only two platforms I was on was Instagram and Facebook. And I remember having a lot of conversations with Jillian about this on her podcast saying, she's like, you know, I'm so jealous that you can do that, you know, but I can't do that because of my business, which makes all the sense in the world, right? We are a business that grew up in traditional media using television and radio and print, um, And as time has evolved, we've had to be prolific in social and digital because that's where the eyeballs and the audience are. Let's not forget, Richard, that like television, like radio, social media now, the point you made earlier on, is truly an advertising platform. There's nobody that has better data out there about you than Facebook. I know it because all of my companies, we spend hundreds of thousands of dollars a month marketing marketing to our products and services to this digital audience. Now, TV makes shows to sell advertising. Radio has shows to sell advertising, and social is now doing the same. The difference with social media is it's, it's dynamic. You know, we can talk about Nielsen boxes with television. You tell me when you've ever met someone that's had a Nielsen box and how they determine ratings. It's just such an antiquated way of gathering data. But with social media, Richard, you realize that they know what you search for, if you're searching this stock, if you're looking up this resort, all of a sudden you're like, wait, why am I getting all of this inbound information about something? I mean, it's gotten to the point now where you can talk about a specific product and all of a sudden it pops up in your feed some way, some shape some or form. And it's not only in social, it's now happening to you via text message and email. So, I abandoned social media and I immediately, within months, it's like going to rehab. It's crazy. It was just like, you know, you get an injury, you go to rehab, the PT works with you, you start feeling better, you get back to having more and more mobility. As soon as I got off social media within six months, what happened to me? I had a group of friends that felt that there was some type of dynamic between us that had changed because in their opinion, I had blocked them not the case. I just completely got off the platform. But people had abandoned picking up the phone or texting and saying, hey, is there something wrong between us? Is everything okay? I notice I'm not seeing anything about your life. That turned into me having to have a conversation over and over again saying, no, dude, nothing's wrong. I just chose not to be on this platform anymore. So, You can see the behavior of people changed over time. And to this day, I mean, you watch that documentary, Richard, and all you can say to yourself is we were all fooled. We were all suckered. Now, what we once thought was a platform to share memories, create memories and connect with people has now turned into an abundance of whether it's fake news or real news, cyberbullying. Uh, lots of people have developed body dysmorphia due to the fact that these filters make you look prettier or you should look like this person. Honestly, to me, it has gotten to a place where it has been so destructive to our society. I worry about you know the millennials and the Gen Zs and, and the future generations to come because we didn't have to grow up with that. And we knew what life was without it. They don't know life without it. It's crazy. So for me, it's been very, very difficult to manage aspects of our business where I have just complete fraud. And Richard, your firm has sent many letters on our behalf to reputable media outlets, just taking fake news and running with it.
0: Yeah. You know, um, a couple of things that I want to respond to you and comment on what you just said. Number one, I personally have no social media. The first social media I ever started was the Blurred Laws and Life Instagram page. Never had social media before. Uh, And by the way, it's unbelievable. I now have 180 followers on (laughs) Blurred Laws and Life. I mean, it's like, watch out everybody. Like, it's like the geometric rise of my followers is amazing. Like, I don't know. I think soon everyone in the world will follow blurred laws in life. 180. (laughs) But, you know, it's interesting. And the reason why I never was on social media is because I like my privacy. I don't like people knowing what I'm doing all the time. And the other thing is, I always felt that social media was simply a way, and I know people are not going to like when I say this, but to make people believe that your life is so great and theirs suck like, you know, people taking pictures when they're eating pancakes. Um, I'm having the best meal ever. I'm on the best vacation ever. I'm doing all these wonderful, incredible things. And it's more, I think, a way to make people think that your life is so wonderful and there sucks. And I think that's why so many people who are on social media report incredible depression. Um, Absolutely. And then then secondly, um, and so I was never into that. I never, you know, I didn't see the positive aspect of doing that. And then secondly, to your point, the really scary thing, a lot of scary things came out of uh, the Social Dilemma broadcast. But to your point that these teenagers are being influenced by these social media platforms in a very negative way, one thing they said was that plastic surgeons, plastic surgery of teenagers... And young adults has risen dramatically where they want to look like their filtered pictures. You know, nobody looks like they act like they portray themselves on, you know, these social media platforms. They all filter themselves and, and change the way they look. And now people are actually trying to have plastic surgery to make themselves look like they're distorted, filtered picture, which is really scary and sad.
1: I'm telling you, it's... Um- It's a real, real issue. I'm not a parent, but I cannot imagine having a young child transitioning into their teen years. And there's no way at a certain point you cannot consider. You can't you just can't control everything your child does. And now usually you would think, hey, my child is home. They're safe. They're not really safe anymore.
0: So let's let's talk about if we could um, some of the things that businesses face and you've faced on social media. So Empowered Media started, I believe, as a physical product business where you were selling Jillian Michael DVDs through various agreements you had with distributors. And as times evolved, um, your business model evolved. So how now do you use social media, to stay in touch with your fan base and customers? And what are the positive, I guess, um, sides to the social media?
1: So in the early phases of our business, really the marketing approach was always a shotgun approach, which was create as many impressions as possible, uh, try to gobble up as much real estate as possible at retail, and have Jillian out there talking the messaging points as much as she can. So then she, you know, becomes the most upon people's personal success. She becomes the most trusted individual in the wellness space, which we did effectively. And, uh, that really set us up for where we are today. The beauty of today's targeting abilities with the way Google and and Facebook and some others have structured things, is that we can literally build audiences of interest, meaning people that are interested in exercise, people that are interested in nutrition, people that are interested in overall wellness, people that are interested in squats, whatever it is. We are able to segment audiences and put them what they call look-alike buckets and target specific messaging and specific products to these audiences in a way that is meaningful to them that they have responded to based on their query history um, and their just overall engagement. So what that really has done is made our marketing dollars way more effective. Um, And that's how we now use these platforms carefully by making sure that we are not making claims or you know any of those things that other companies tend to do uh, when they use Jillian's likeness without permission, uh, we you know we work to make sure that everything is transparent. So. What we have experienced, as good as this information is, it's also become very easy for fraudsters to use Jillian's image. I mean there's no stopping me from having someone capture Jillian's image through a, a Google image search, creating some copy and pushing something out or even taking out an ad and saying it's Jillian. Can I stop it's you for one second because
0: I, wa- yeah. I want to get into that, but I wanna, yeah. I'm really interested in, in one other before we move on. Do you use – and I know there are – companies. One is like the Trade Desk and there are others. Facebook has this, obviously. Google has this, obviously. Amazon has this, obviously. Algorithms that will provide advertisements on those platforms to people most likely to subscribe to fitness workouts and to your business. Do you employ any of those types of companies that will assist in getting the message that Jillian wants out there to the target
1: audience? No, we don't use any external companies. We have internal um, people that do that for us. And yes, and that was what I was referring to with the how good the data is. We are able to build um, lookalike audiences. So for example, we'll call a campaign That is a top of funnel campaign. Basically, what that means is we want to push out messaging about the benefits of drinking water. So we'll come up with a video because video performs better than a static image. And Jillian will talk about the benefits of water and hydration and how that helps your overall wellness and your skin and all these different types of things. So let's just say that that has a total audience reach of 50 million people. Of 50 million people that actually see that video, maybe 1% of them watch the video all the way through. Then that audience that actually watches the video falls what we call into a retargeting audience. So we've kind of cast a big net and then released the net and this is all that was left in the net. So now that group, let's just say the 50% of, of, uh, 1% of that 50 million, then next time we go to push out specific messaging about hydration and the importance of water in your diet, we know that we have a built-in audience that is interested in that. So we might decide, Hey, let's do a campaign to promote aqua hydrate. And we're having, um, you know, a discount sale at Walmart so we'll take that information, and we'll put an offer together, and we'll push a message to that specific audience to a specific retailer, and that's how that's done. But it's it takes time if you want to build a quality audience.
0: I guess my I guess, and again, not to interrupt you, but yep. since you use you know the private information, the search history, et cetera, of the public to direct your message to those most likely to be receptive. Do you have a fundamental problem with the companies in the world that do that? I mean, I guess it's a kind of a reality that we're in that that's what happens on a daily basis and maybe everyone knows that now. But I guess my question is, do you have a fundamental problem with the the complaints that we saw on the social dilemma about how everyone's information now and their tendencies and and what they search for is, you know, everything that we are is basically known by, by these companies.
1: Right. So I'm going to answer your question. There's aspects of what's happening out there that I have a problem with, but I just want to clarify one thing for your listeners. We don't have access to search history or any of those types of things. Those are all within the platform. So for example, I will tell Facebook I want to spend $1,000 today on this campaign, but I don't want to pay more than $10 to acquire a customer, Facebook and its algorithms and its databases do the rest. We have no insight into that aspect of the customer. The community of Facebook or Google is able to do that.
0: So I guess, do you have have a conflict there? I mean, not a conflict, but I guess, do you have a moral issue about using Facebook for that?
1: No, I don't have a moral issue or conflict with that because the types of products and what we're messaging has nothing to do with creating disruption in government. It's got nothing to do with creating disruption in society. We're a business that's solely based on wellness. And if you look, if anyone did a quick cursory search of our brand, there is an abundance of free information that we put on YouTube that Jill puts out in the media on a daily basis. And we do that because we believe that having good information allows you, the individual, to make a choice. Should you decide that you want to get into some form of exercise or change out your water or, you know, eat a different type of Uh, use a different type of sweetener in your baking, then we're going to provide you information as to what we like or what we support or what we own. And should you choose to use that product, that's the extent of our relationship. But we're in no way manipulating information or creating false positives or any of these things that are you're starting to see in other aspects of how social media works. You know, we're, we're fortunate to be on the side of the equation where the pandemic, for example, the first thing that people wanted to do with their free time is I want to get into better shape. Well, we benefited from that because we had all these digital tools in place and there's really never a good time to start a diet or a workout regimen. But for us, because Jillian's been around for so long and so trusted and tens of millions of people have seen how she can take someone who was 300 pounds and six, nine months later, they're now 200 pounds or 175 pounds and are at their optimal weight, that she's probably someone that you can lean on to have success in whatever it is that you endeavor with your wellness. So again, I'm not conflicted with the ease of how the information is available to us, because remember, Richard, Back in the day, and even still now, if you went out and got a mortgage, within a week's time, you would have 10 pieces of mail talking about refinancing your mortgage and all these different things. Back then, people used to sell, sell mailing lists for addresses based on you know, transactions that people were doing, getting a new credit card or what have you. It's just become much easier for companies to effectively target their spend. That's all this is. The, the,
0: it's just, I'd say two things about that, though. Um I have a few comments about that. Number one, on the one hand, everyone knows what's going on at this point. So they can't really complain if their search history, if their instincts, if their um, interests are generally known. Because when you go on the Internet, it's now very well known now that your private information is, is being hoarded and being compiled for use by advertisers. I mean, everyone knows that. But but number two, I think on the other hand, the difference is that yes, if you applied for a mortgage and you had a mortgage and mailing lists were sold, that's one thing. But here, your very private information, things that interest you on a personal level, are being gathered and used. And that's pretty scary stuff. It's like Big Brother's watching at all times.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I can tell you that I don't have a moral conflict or a rub with the way we utilize the digital tools because, Richard, we are, we're doing it in a controlled way with plenty of free information available. We are using the content that is provided to customers for free to better educate them, to better inform them. And again, customers vote with their dollars. So if you found out that there was a better for you product, or, you know, for example, you had recently asked me something about some core workouts. And I said, hey, Richard, here's some great core workouts. They're free. Just use this app. That's a benefit. But now the moment you use that app, It's out there that you're interested in core exercises.
0: The world knows that I'm I'm very fit is what you're saying.
1: That's right. So uh, would you be upset if you (laughs) received some form of communication about a device or a new routine for your core? Probably not. Would you be upset if you started getting – all kinds of fake news and hate mail and all sorts of stuff because you happen to search something because you were interested in what a news article said and all of a sudden your phone's bombarded with it probably i mean during this campaign i have probably typed a lot of people don't know this but when you get a text message that's unsolicited all you have to do is type stop and it unsubscribes you from the list and you won't get it from that individual again it doesn't mean that you're gonna not gonna get it from someone else but There's a lot of tools in place out there to help minimize the inbound unrequested information that is coming to all of us.
0: So how do you feel about government regulation of the use of this information? There have been subcommittee hearings about requiring Internet users to consent to having their information stored to be used by the social media platforms and their advertisers, as opposed to just assuming consent based upon the use of your computer and and logging on. How do you feel about that?
1: Well, look, um, it's my mandate internally as CEO of my company to my digital team that we are in compliance prior to the activation date of any new law signed in when it comes to privacy so for example we could talk about the ccpa in california right the california consumer privacy act which i believe went into effect in june of 2018 um actually i should say it was signed into law in june of 2018 but i think the effect it needed to be live by january 1st 2019 we could talk about gdpr in europe so for me we are completely compliant i have no problem with regulation by the government uh, when it comes to protecting the privacy or the opt-out option of a user to remain anonymous. Um, I have no problem with it. Now, we know, for example, that the government has tried to do this with the do not disturb or do not call list, but it's ineffective, right, because technologies find a workaround. but I think it's important. I think there needs to be Big Brother watching um, and regulating. I just It's too out of control. It really, really is. I'm fine, good for it because we're not doing anything that is illegal. We are not doing anything that heads in that direction. But there's just too much out there that is – I mean recently we had a situation where it was – this is a true situation that we had in the U.K., someone created an instagram account and put jillian's face on the instagram account used her name and then added the word fit after michaels then in the description of the bio they put a link for an apparel company in the uk as an affiliate link so if someone clicks on that link it's a known brand it would take them to the website Then that same Instagram page started sending direct messages to individuals saying, hey, it's Jillian. If you want a free workout, send me your email address. Well, what we came to find out was it was a complete phishing expedition to break into your phone. The link, when you clicked on it, would send you some malware that would give them access into your phone. And then by them having your email, they would put it in and try to figure out what your password would be.
0: Wow. So I guess that's a good pivot point to discuss whether you think that the benefits of as a business, the benefits of being on social media to you outweigh these types of issues. And, you know, we know that everyone on social media receives hate mail, receives nasty comments by the public in a um, anonymous way. And um, as you say, fake accounts for Jillian. How do you deal with that as a business? How does Jillian deal with those kind of things personally? And, and is it worth it to you at the end of the day?
1: Well, so in the beginning, I said, you know, I have two points of view. I have my personal, which I've bowed out of social media for all the, uh, you know, the aforementioned reasons that we've discussed. But from a business point of view, Richard, it's the only way I can conduct and run my business this day. It is the only effective way to run our marketing and communication platforms. Yes, we have Jillian has a podcast like you have your podcast, but you know, we do media every week. She's constantly doing interviews, constantly doing blogs, but people have a smart device in their hand and that's where they are getting their information. 80% of the traffic that we receive to our website comes from a mobile device. 80%. Wow. So, we are bound by the fact that that's where the audience is, Richard. If the audience was still on television, there'd be a lot fewer brands because people can't afford to be on TV. It's extremely expensive, extremely expensive.
0: So these social media companies have basically won. The genie's out of the bottle. Pandora's box has been open,
1: and they, Richard, there's really no my way. Bu- my business used to be with the following gatekeepers: NBC, you know, Warner, those companies. Now I deal with. Three companies. I deal with Facebook, I deal with Google and I deal with Apple. And now I'm starting to deal with Samsung and the television operators or the television manufacturers because now they have gotten into the business of tracking what you're watching, but then creating, you know, feeding you content through apps and all that sort of stuff based on your behavior. And that's what it's about. It's literally the gatekeepers have changed and the traditional media companies are no more. That's why podcasts, Richard, are so popular. They've never been more popular. Why? Because in a podcast, you know, your podcast, for example, you don't run advertising. Okay, that's a decision that you've made, which is fine. Maybe you'll change your mind in the future. But if you wanted to run this same show, Richard, with the frequency that you run it on terrestrial radio or even satellite radio, think about how difficult that would be to get that deal done. There's only a finite amount of space on a frequency. Exactly. And they would have to be able to sell advertising against it. Now, we left Terrestrial Radio in 2010 for this exact reason. I said, Jillian, what you want to do, I can't, I can't make it a business the way the radio like Westwood One or any of these companies want to run it. I was like, you're, you're not going to take advertising from these companies. They're, you know, big pharma like Coca-Cola. You're not going to do that. So the only way for us to do this is build an audience. We started our podcast in January 1st of 2011. We've done a new episode every week, 52 weeks a year. Now we're, you know, approaching almost a decade of doing the podcast. You know, we talk about the social dilemma. Jeff Orlowski, the director, he's a guest on Jill's podcast in a few weeks. So now she's able to control the conversation. We're able to put out the information that we want. And the best part about it is we're able to control what advertisers promote to Jillian's audience?
0: Yeah. So the social media companies have won. There's no putting the genie
1: back in the bottle. And- no, but there's there's no – at this point, they hands down have won. I mean, listen, Cineworld in the UK the other day announced that they're closing all of their UK theaters. And Regal, the second largest chain in the United States, is shutting down all 500-plus movie theaters.
0: No, it's going to be a Netflix world. That's that's a different conversation.
1: Oh, absolutely. But but it's going to be
0: a Netflix, YouTube, Instagram world, Facebook world. Yes. That's it.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: You know, interestingly, there's, I have, you know, a few like just, I guess, comments about this is, first of all, did I mention that I have 180 followers on the Blurred Laws and Life Instagram page? Did I mention that to you? (laughs) And secondly, and this is really important. The major takeaway that I took from the social dilemma is the idea that people are now getting plastic surgery to look like they're filtered pictures. And I'm going to tell you something. I don't mean to, be, don't mean to offend you. But I've seen some of your filtered pictures and you're much better looking filtered than you are in real life. And I would highly recommend you getting plastic surgery to make yourself look like your filtered picture. I just want you to know
1: that. God, you're so full of shit. I love it. No, no, you, you <laughs> are.
0: You're much better looking filtered.
1: Thank you, Richard. What what filter do you like to I use? I don't
0: use filters because I'm naturally handsome and good looking. You, on the other hand, need filters. It's nothing to be ashamed of. A lot of people do it these days. And I'm just saying that you need – that I would – probably you. <laughs> <laughs> I would get five,
1: no, but <laughs> Richard, like honestly, in all, all seriousness, think where we are. You know, we are, in, you know, several weeks away from an election. Can you truly trust the information that's out there about the pandemic, about the voting process, about everything? Do you have the same confidence that you once did in the structure of our society? The answer is
0: No. The answer yes, is no. Exactly,
1: and that's the problem. So because every, let me tell you
0: something. Every article I read on the internet, like if I go to the Yahoo News page, and you know you had the article after article after article, you wonder with respect to every single one whether it's true or not. Like I look at the source, whether it's Reuters or NBC or some blog that I've never heard of, and no matter what they say, I always think: Is this real? Is this fake? Is this true? There's no way to know anymore. Like when you turned on CBS News, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you believed that what you were being told was true. There was actual news that was factual. Now you have no idea. And it all influences everybody's
1: opinion. It really does. I look at my parents who are both in their mid-70s and... I listen to their narrative as the way they see the world because they are not, you know, they're not social savvy, but I can see how skewed. My father will send me article after article that pops up in his Google feed. It's like, is this true? Is this true? How is this possible? And he drinks the Kool-Aid. He's convinced that's what it is. And the problem is, is people just read headlines now. Long gone are the days where... Many people really dig to understand and figure out what that investigative journalist has, has, you know, determined in his or her research. But I I feel that I have done my part for my own well-being. Listen, I don't suffer from the anxiety. You know, one thing, Richard, that my biggest takeaway from The Social Dilemma was when they said a human being is not designed to get instant praise from thousands or tens of thousands, if not millions of people. In a moment. Yep.
0: Everyone wants that thumbs up. Everyone wants that like. Everyone wants positive reinforcement. I, I don't know if you every know time this. they post something?
1: But um, Instagram had tested last year for a period of time. Some accounts had did not have the ability to like something.
0: Yes, yeah, I saw that.
1: And um, again, so think about this. I mean, th- I think that documentary did such a good job of saying, oh, even the message bubbles, Richard. Like, be honest, when I text, when you text me and I don't write you back or if you see me writing you back, you stop and wait to see what's happening on the screen. Right.
0: I don't do that. I don't care what, whether you write me back or not, quite frankly. <laughs>
1: it's
0: so <a> bullshit.
1: <laughs> That's why I love having these conversations with you, because there's. <laughs> We could be as serious as can be, and then all of a sudden you're going to jab me with your humor. (laughs) (laughs) I
0: literally, you know, I I literally don't want to hear from you. It's like I I send you a text message, and I'm like, please don't respond. (laughs) No, but you're right, right, man. man. It's like it's like you are hanging on the edge of your seat on so many different things that you should be focused on different things, but you you are happy if. Some person you don't know know, likes a photo. I mean, it's insane, to be honest.
1: It's absurd. And let's not even get into the conversation of what texting and driving has done. I mean, there's been so many aspects of what the phone has done to our lives to better it. But at the same time, just, just take us in a direction that feels irreversible.
0: Yep. All right, man. Well, listen, I really appreciate your time. Coming on Blurred Laws and Life, I know I love you. We've been best friends for now, you know, a long time. And as as one of my best friends in the world, I would just really appreciate it if you would take my advice and have that plastic surgery to make yourself look just like your filtered picture. (laughs)
1: I, you know, I'll consider it because it comes from you and, you know, I love you dearly, but on a separate note, Richard, I just wanted to say to you, you know, I think this is now maybe 27, 28 podcasts that you're in and there's not an episode that I don't listen to where there is some takeaway, whether it pertains to my life or just learning something new. So, you know, thank you for taking your podcast seriously and putting good information out there. That's entertaining.
0: Well, thank you. Because you know, I, I do try and listen. It's an enjoyable thing to do, bro. It really is, and I like making people laugh. I like the serious. I like educating, and this provides a great platform to do it. And um, you know, I appreciate the fact that you listen and and everything thank else. Thank
1: you, brother. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, man. I love you, and um, you know, we'll be talking later today, probably. Okay. Have All a right, good day. Thank you, Giancarlo, for being on this week's episode of Blurred Laws in Life. I want to mention to everyone that um, I just received word um, after the interview that uh, my golden retriever, Gracie, has to be put down. She has a tumor. We've had her for 10 years. The sweetest golden retriever anyone has ever had. We are heartbroken about it. It has been a hell of a three weeks. I want to thank everyone who has expressed condolences to me in the past week over my mother's passing and um, tell you all how much I appreciate that. So again, thank you for listening to this week's episode of Blurred Laws in Life. And I will speak to you again next week.